What is good, everybody? Welcome to the very first episode of Ball is Life's In The Paint show. This is Devin Newland here with Ronnie Flores. And today we're going to jump into our hard in the paint topic, and that is James Harden and the foul calls or non-foul calls that he draws on a game-to-game basis. Uh, against the Lakers the other night, he had a 50-point triple-double with 11 rebound, 11, excuse me, 10 rebounds and 11 assists. Obviously, James Harden's one of the best players in the league, but a lot of people are talking about whether he deserves the foul calls he's getting and uh, if he's swapping or not. Ronnie, yeah. what are your takes on this? Yeah, Devin, um, you know, obviously James Harden is a player we've been following a long time and everybody knows who he is. He's, you know, a local kid from Southern California. He's made a whole lot of money, but basically what people are talking about is this, is he on that level to get those type of calls? He went to the line, you know, 19 times, made 18 free throws. Um, he obviously knows how to draw fouls, just as other players in the NBA does. You know, he, um, he, you know, he's a great player, MVP, and, I think people need to give him that respect of an MVP. If you look through history, most MVPs have gotten that type of respect and calls. I think where he, where he maybe gets tripped up a little bit, and we quote unquote phantom calls, is that he may not get those calls in the playoffs, and compared to a regular season game, and that seems to have hurt the Rockets in previous, you know, in the last couple seasons in the playoffs. He's he's not going to get those calls all the time. Well, he's so good at contorting his body and anticipating contact and kind of, you know, throwing his weight into a defender at the right time, that it's difficult to officiate him. It's sure. extremely hard to officiate James Harden because he's so good at, you know, baiting someone into a touch foul or, or whatever and making it look like he's getting hammered. But like you said, you know, he is a superstar. And should he get superstar calls? Uh, you know, a guy who has a beef with that is LeBron James. LeBron's kind of on that same thing that Shaq was back when Shaq was in his prime. He was so strong. And so physical that, you know, a hard foul looks like a touch foul, so he's not getting those same calls. Or James kind of, you know, he leans in and gets those arms and shoulders into your body, and uh, he kind of um, forces the ref's hand into blowing that whistle. Definitely. I, I think you hit on a good point. James is not physically dominant, more dominant than other players. So the referees probably saying this guy is is making a move getting fouled he's getting fouled a lot he has the ball in his hands a lot so he's gonna get the ref's gonna have to call something or make a no call because he's dribbling and taking the ball to the hole a lot so give him that credit but i think you made a hit on a good point it's perception he's not physically bigger than everybody else and he's not um you know the pine of player you look at and he just passed the eyeball test to say wow he's the best player on the court no he's creating that offense Obviously, the coaching staff and what the Rockets do, they want him with the ball in his hand a lot. He gets that, has that freedom, and he takes advantage of it. Um, he's going to be a Hall of Fame player. I think you look at that, and I'm not sure he gets that respect right now all the time. He just won an NBA MVP. Um, kudos to him. And I, I think the problem is, is, he, is he's not going to get those calls in the playoffs, and can the Rockets overcome that? Right, and the point in the playoffs is well taken for sure because – Last year against the Warriors, he wasn't getting those kind of calls. And, you know, the refs kind of tightened their wrists a little bit in the playoffs to, I don't know, make the game a little bit more physical and allow more things to happen to kind of let the players decide instead of the whistles. Um, but, again, a lot of the beef that people have with, with Harden is he's the guy who creates the contact first. 
with the defender. So last night, for example, there was a play with, with Lonzo Ball in transition. Harden was going straight line to the basket, and Lonzo was just straight line with him. And Harden kind of took two dribbles and, boom, lowered his shoulder right into Zoe, and Zoe didn't put a hand on him, put his hands up, and went right by him. So and James got the whistle, went to the free throw line. Um, and that's the kind of beef that people are having with Harden and the whistles and all the free throws he's shooting. But again, like, it goes back to the point, how do you officiate James Harden? How would you officiate James Harden? Well, I would look at it as you try to call what's there and not perceive what's there. We see that on all levels. And I think another point is James Harden also jerks his head back, makes body movements that are a little uh, flailing. And, Devin, I would like to talk a little bit about uh, how we see that at college and definitely at the high school level. These kids think they're James Harden. And, uh, you know, they, they fall down, they, they flop, and they flail. Uh, you know, and it doesn't do any good for their game. Um, you know, they're not, they're not to that level. And, and I just think that young players emulate the stars they look up to in the NBA. And I don't think this is one thing that has benefited most kids looking up to. Well, you know, high school officiating, we're talking about the, the kind of um, disconnect with the NBA officiating. High school officiating is further disconnect it's definitely more um uh, day-to-day and there's good refs you know sometimes and there's terrible refs in other games sure so um the amount of calls you're getting there that are bad or even worse or you know the lack of calls are even worse um so you get a kid you know trying to do a shot fake step back and then lean into a player and get a three-point foul call the high school ref's not gonna blow the whistle on that the high school ref's gonna swallow his whistle and the kid's going to end up looking dumb, silly. Looking silly. Yeah, yeah you look silly. Uh, in front of whoever's watching, whether it's me or you or you know other scouts like Frank Burleson or Joel Francisco, and we see that and we're like, what, what are you doing? Sure. You're not James Harden. Definitely. Yeah, you're not James Harden, but second of all, you've, you're falling onto the ground, looking at the ref, waiting for the call. Now you're, you're five on, you know, you're at a disadvantage back on the other end. And it, it doesn't make for good ball. So I think kids, the, the bottom line we're trying to say here in the paint is uh, strive to be, work your game to get to James Harden. Obviously, you want to get $250 million like James Harden, but take the steps and play the game the right way. You know, um, obviously, we don't want to sit here and bash. We're not trying to bash NBA players. Let's make that clear. NBA refs are, are the best, and they do a good job 98% of the time. Obviously, when we get down to the younger group, you know, you're not going to see that. So So try to play the game the right way and react to the defense. Don't try to create something that's not there. And we see that a lot, whether it's a, a James Harden move or, a, you know, kids, you know, flailing on a drill move like maybe Chris Paul does, Harden's teammate. Paul's always, you know, accentuating contact, and um, he can do that because he's Chris Paul. When, when we see high school kids start trying to accentuate contact and throw bad shots or flail their arms around and, flop on the ground and things like that. Unless you're taking a charge. Like, that's great. Take a charge. But if, if you're, you know, throwing your body into somebody um, on a jump shot just to try and get a foul call, we see that and, you know, we jot down in our notes, like, you know, this kid's got bad shot selection. Definitely. And I take it a step further. I, I, I guess it started a little bit with Reggie Miller. He was great at that in, you know, in the 90s when the Pacers were good, when he was there with that group that went to the Eastern Conference Finals a couple of times. Um, you know, he'd kick his leg out, he'd get the call, 
you know, now we see high school players, especially in, in the grassroots setting, they're falling down on a three-pointer all the time, even ones they're not getting hit. And it just, to me, is worse than the things we're talking about with James Harden is nobody's touching you. You're just falling on a three. And the big thing is you're not helping your team on defense. So kids, if you're listening out there, try to cut that out. It's, it's not doing you any good. Right. Next up, uh, we're going to talk about a guy who did himself some good this year. Um, and Alonzo Trier of the New York Knicks. Um, Alonzo got signed to a two year, $7 million deal, um, recently. And he was an undrafted rookie, you know, he played three good years at Arizona and was a high-level high school player. Um, but he went undrafted, you know, paid his dues. And when he got his time, he made the most of it, and he got rewarded for it. So, Ronnie, what did you see in that trio this year that um, might be something that you know some people were surprised about? I'm not surprised that Alonzo Trier can score in the NBA. And, and I think that's one thing you got to look at. Um, first of all, kudos to him. Lonzo got to know him a little bit at Finley Prep on the grassroots circuit. Happy for the guy, happy for his family. Obviously, somebody had to get cut for that to happen, but that's business. And I think when you when you go to the business aspect, uh, you know, Lonzo Trey was good enough to get drafted. When you when you see him, he's averaging, you know, about 11 points a game, three rebounds. I mean, that's really good for a rookie. A guy who even gets maybe in the middle of the first round, that's pretty good. Even close to creeping up to the lottery. Um so when you look at that, I think you got to go back, and it's easy to say the GMs they didn't do their job. Well, let's look at it a little further. Uh, he obviously was a player that moved around. So when we say moved around, he was well-known as a youth player. He was one of these guys who had a reputation in youth ball, Devin, and obviously you probably didn't necessarily care about that at that time, but people followed it, and he moved around from city to city. So now scouts get a view of him, they're saying, well, what's what's wrong here? Why is he going from a home school to Montrose Christian to a school in Maryland? You know, he's lived in the Seattle area as, as a youngster, and then he ends up at Finley Prep. That's, whether it's right or wrong, Devin, that's going to raise eyebrows. So, you know, what do you think about that? First of all, that. What do you think about that in terms of a kid who maybe goes to one high school in his neighborhood for four years. You know, what, is that a problem? Is that not a problem? You know, is that fair? What is your take? I mean, nowadays, I don't think that's an issue. Gotcha. I think I think gotcha. because mo- so many kids are doing it now. Sure. You see kids transferring, you know, to four different high schools locally, let alone throughout Around. the entire country. Correct. So you have powerhouse schools pop up like Montverde, uh, yeah. Oak Hill, all those types of prep programs, quote sure. unquote. Um, and they, you know, they've made themselves a brand. They're a good, good team. They get a lot of, you know, all-star kind of rosters. They're going to draw kids, yeah. Kids are interested in that. So you go to the, one of those schools, maybe it doesn't work out, and then you go back to your regular school or you go to another one. Again, the transfer thing is part of it's part of high school basketball. Part of the culture, yeah. But will it raise eyebrows for some people? Sure. Um, but again, then Trier, obviously, he's always been a great scorer. He's put up numbers everywhere he's gone including Arizona for three years. He averaged 16.8 points per game in Arizona during his three years there and then goes undrafted. Um, it's surprising, I would say, Devin. I mean, yeah, right. you look at the impact of why he didn't get drafted. Oh, it's easy to shit on an NBA personnel, and a lot of people on Twitter do that because obviously they think they know a lot. But let's look at the impact of the steroid controversy. What did that mean? Again, 
you take a little bit about his past of, you know, he moved around. So he, some people have some questions about him coming in. Then he he gets suspended or whatnot for, for a steroid or for a, you know, a performance and happening substance. We don't know what that means, especially in, in basketball. It doesn't happen too often. There's not too many Don McLean's running around getting popped for steroids in basketball. So that's going to, you know, raise some eyebrows there. People just don't know what that means. And then obviously him coming from high school, like you said, Devin, he's a great player. So that wasn't the, the question. Somewhere there was a disconnect in, in terms of him being a well-known high school player. Trier was ranked in the top 20 by most people. I, I think uh, he was up to number four. My buddy Clark Francis from the Hoop School, he's seen him since he was an elementary school kid. And this is what he said. Nobody in the class has a better motor, puts up better numbers. And this is the class of 2015 when Trier was a senior. He ranked him number four in the class. And, and I think he, he had him at number two at one point. Yeah, he had him at number two. He dropped him because people were saying he's selfish. Well, why is he selfish? You know, be, he can score. The NBA, in many respects, is being a little bit selfish and taking on uh, that role. Hey, I can do this. I think that's the main thing we got to bring up, Devin, is Alonzo Trier believed he can do it and, and drowned it out the noise, and kudos to him for that. Well, here's the thing about Trier. Um... He's a scorer, and what is the NBA kind of based around right now? Scoring. We're at, you know, the levels that teams are scoring per game are the highest they've been in a very long time. I'm not sure the exact amount of years, but, you know, we got teams dropping 130 points basically every night. So you got a guy who can come off the bench and score 11 points in 15 minutes like Trier can, and there's a place for him in the league. And clearly the Knicks uh, have seen that with the contract they gave him. Definitely. Uh, they believe in him, and he believe, he's believed in himself for how long now? Definitely. I think that's the main thing, kids, to take away from this, and parents, you got to believe in yourself. Trier did it. He drowned out the noise, and, you know, if if he can do that, you can do that too. Obviously, he has he's a high-level player. He's MVP of the Jordan Brown game, played at Finley, played in big games, and he overcame that. So we want to give a shout-out to Lonzo Trier for, you know, obviously getting paid and, and Making away, making away from himself, and he may be one of the most beloved Knicks in quite a while, Devin. He could be if he continues to, you know, improve on whatever he needs to improve on. Uh, but again, scoring the basketball is going to get you some NBA minutes, and that's what Trier has always done. Do you think that Trier being, you know, so low on quote unquote draft boards before the season, and then eventually going undrafted, is kind of a product of him being overevaluated, being seen so much from? Middle, like you said, middle school to high school to college? I think so a little bit, but here I'll take it back. Funny thing. A buddy of mine actually played basketball in Southern California. Ari Allen knows uh, Alonzo Trier. And Ari Allen was, was another one of these Baby Shack. Baby Shack middle school phenoms. And he got to know Trier a little bit when he was in Oklahoma. And we'd sometimes tweet at each other and we'd laugh because the recruiting services, the, the ESPN 247 scout, at that time, they didn't even have Trier's vitals correct. Trier was pushing 6'3", and he was still listed as six foot prior to his rising senior. So next thing you know, Trier's on the EYBL, and the guy, look, you look at him, and he looks 6'4". And so we're like, whoa, where did this come from? He's much bigger, he's much more physical, and he looked like a guy who could score at the high major level. And, and we'd laugh on Twitter and we'd say, hey, Alonzo, you're still six foot? And he would kind of laugh. 
and be like, yeah, man, they still have me listed at six foot. But by the end of the, the last ranking, they, they got it right. But, you know, he was 14, 19, I think, in ESPN, 18 maybe. You know, but there was guys in front of him that definitely didn't deserve to be in front of him. You know, it was more of a a look, a look and a feel people were looking for. Obviously, Ben Simmons was the best player in that class, and that's I think, rightfully, rightfully so. And he's, pr- he's proven that. Yeah, he's proven that. But other guys, you know, some people like Dwayne Bacon. They liked Isaiah Briscoe, Ivan Rapp. But I, I think Trier was was in that group right below that, and, and deler- deservedly so. So um, back to your original question, I, I I think that's what happened a little bit. People didn't really see him in a regular high school setting. Then, boom, he hits the EYBL. He does really well there. So I really don't see why he couldn't have got, you know, either drafted or, or maybe looked at a li- in a little different light. I think he got a bad rap there a little bit, Devin. Yeah, and then he goes to Arizona. Uh, Sean Miller known to be a good college basketball coach. Sure. Um, but he's a you know he's a guy who wants kids to do things his way. Sure. Um, Trier might be one of those guys who was better off you know being able to ISO do his own yeah. thing, get creative offensively. Um, do you think that hurt him at all? Yeah, I think that hurt him a bit, Devin. Um, obviously, a college coach is there and he's getting paid and he's getting paid well in Sean Miller's case as other, you know, power conference coaches are. And he, he's, he wants things done a certain way and no player is just going to say, Hey, I'm just out here, you know, scoring at, at will. That's not what he was going to do, but I think that's what he excels at. And in the NBA, you have a little more freedom to do that, obviously. And I think that could held him back a little bit. I think the selfish rap got to him, Devin. It's like you said about, what Clark said in his rankings. Clark had him at number two in the class behind Ben Simmons for a little while. He dropped him because, again, he respects other people's opinions. So, oh, he's selfish. He's selfish. He's a little selfish. So that kind of played into it, and I think that carried over, unfortunately. But for the Knicks, they don't care about that now. They're just trying to get in the winning column, and kudos to Trier for that. But here's the thing about the current state of the NBA. It's selfish is good, um, yeah. especially if you can put the ball through the net. Uh, we have so many ball-dominant guards. Yeah. In the NBA now, I mean, you have guys taking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dribbles every game, and there's no ball movement. You know what I mean? It's it's ISO. It's it's get the ball to the guy who's with the mismatch and go to work. Definitely. Um. So Trier kind of fits that mold. Fits that mold. Yep. And as you talk about that and fitting the mold and guys getting overlooked, let's talk about Jai Moran from Murray State, Devin. Let's talk a little bit the college a little bit. Yeah. Um, you're talking about guys overlooked. This kid is averaging 24 points a game, seven rebounds. He's putting up really good numbers. And we're talking about uh, LeBron James, Larry Bird type of <laughs> production for the co- right, college right, level. Right. Seven, nine, and 24. So talk a little bit about that and what you know about him, Dev. I mean, he's just one of those guys who knows how to play basketball. He does a little bit of everything. Uh, he scores it. Um, he can break guys down off the dribble, get into the paint. And obviously by 8.9 assists a game, like he creates for his teammates. Um, I think a little bit of he has a little bit of that Trey Young kind of feel where he, when the ball's in his hands, he can control the game. In general, he can control the game a little bit, um, and he has his way with defenses. He just understands how to play, and he was a two-star, two-star quote-unquote guy in sure. high school. Um, and why is that? We don't know. I never saw him in high school. Sure. You probably never saw him in high school. Didn't know too much about him. I know the story. You know, he fell through the cracks a little bit. Murray State saw him. Um, they were at an event in Spartanburg, South Carolina, and they were watching uh, Tevin Brown. So I guess one of their uh, 
uh, former assistants was kind of scouring the gym, kind of like you like to do, Devin. Sometimes go to the back gym, gym. The back gym special. Go to the back gym special. And he kind of saw this kid, kind of just playing in a, an auxiliary gym in a three on three game, and he was a rising senior at the time, and they just saw what they liked right away. So, and quote unquote, the rest is history. They is his game, his smoothness. Um, he wasn't even in roster books like that. You know, he wasn't playing in the main gym. Interesting. He played on a early on a traveling team. He, he played with Zion Williamson and uh, Devontae Shuler uh, on the on the South Carolina Hornets. Obviously, Devontae Shuler's well known. He went to Oak Hill. He was a big kind of recruiter. Obviously, is Zion, Zion won now. He's pretty yeah, good. yeah. <laughs> and obviously, Zion is you know, so it's easy to get overlooked. So I think that's gonna keep happening. Not necessarily with this kid, but I'm saying he's going to keep overlooked. He says, you're going to see episodes where kids play on certain grassroots teams where they're going to get overlooked. So, um, you know, this kid seems to be on draft boards, right, Devin? I'll talk a little bit about that and, and just what you think about him and how you're kind of happy for that kid. And you like to see mid-majors do well and, and guys who are not, quote-unquote, in the power of conferences. Well, yeah, I mean, like you said, I'm kind of the kind of guy who, you know, I like watching top 100 players. Like, that's great. Sure. Um so does but everybody else. Everybody yeah. else likes doing that. I mean, yeah. that's that's the thing. Yeah. I like to go to the, the back gyms. I like to go to smaller tournaments and you know watch guys who might not get as much pub as some other guys. But um, it, Morant is on you know the lottery draft board right now, um, and it just goes to show that you don't have to be a high level recruit to end up being a high level draft pick. A recent examples, you know, Chandler Hutchinson from Michigan Viejo. He wasn't a high-level recruit. He kind of blew up his junior season, sure, going into his senior, senior year in that summer. Uh, but again, he still ended up at Boise State. And again, he ended up there for four years. So then he ended up being a you know first-round draft pick in the early to mid-20s. So uh, Morant's just another kind of case where um, there's a different path to you know the NBA draft than just being a top 100 five-star, four-star recruit and going to, you know, a power five conference school. Um, so it's, it's, it's good to see, you know, I always like to bring light to those kind of, uh, those kind of stories. And um, that kind of leads us into our next segment about high school teams, whether it's a top high school team, uh, kind of the, of the Mount Birdie Oak Hill ilk and like compared to that of Southern California teams like Sierra Canyon and, and Rancho Christian, who are probably the top two teams in our area right now. So, Ronnie, give me a little kind of perspective on um, how these top national teams are faring right now. Definitely. Um, obviously, like you mentioned, uh, Chandler Hutchinson, Mission Viejo, California, local guy. And when you look at these teams locally compared to nationally, Sierra Canyon is ranked number seven in the country right now. Does that mean they're the seventh best team? That's not necessarily what we're saying. We're saying they're the top team right now with, with Rancho Christian right on them. And when you look at the talent level of Montverde Academy in Florida, Oak Hill, who everybody knows, um, the branded Oak Hill, and, and IMG Academy is kind of the new kid on the block. Their talent level is very high, one, two, three. And it still remains to be seen if the other top teams in the country, which includes Sierra Cannon and now Rancho Christian, can kind of match them. We've got to still see, um, you know, Denton Geyer, Denton, Texas, great team. They have a Devion Harmon going to Oklahoma, Jalen Wilson going to Michigan, and they lost to Sunrise Christian Academy, which is a big team, 
a big for a high school like say Devin, you know, they got size seven, wise, size definitely wise, yeah. most high schools can't match up with them. Right. No, no, very few teams here in Southern California can, can match up with them physically. So they beat Denton Geyer handily by fifteen points. So, you know, Denton Geyer right now is a mid mid tier, very good, very good team and um they lost to Sunrise Christian by 15 points, let's say. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, Sun, double digits. Double digits. Sunrise Christian is 6-1. They're ranked 12 in the country right now. They lost to Montverde 68-41. So how good is Montverde? So how good are these top teams? I mean, because Sunrise Christian would run through most teams here in California. I hate to say it. That's just the truth. Just because they're that's what they're built for right. you know, compared to a high school team that has guys from – the general area in the local neighborhood. So when you look at those three teams, you know, we're going to meet, we may see Oak Hill and IMG Academy in the city of Palms final here in, uh, next week, Devin, mm-hmm. and next week, right before Christmas. Right. And obviously Montverde's, you know, now winning streaks about 40 games and Sierra Canyon, they're going to be at the Iolani tournament. Mm-hmm. You know, there's going to be some good teams there. Can they win that? And if they win that Rancho Christian has to come back. It's amazing that for Rancho Christian, we already saw them at the battle zone tournament. Yep. Their guards are playing pretty good. You give Jordan Montgomery credit. You know, give Jaden Byers credit, sophomore guard who transferred over from Corona Centennial. They're playing they're playing pretty well for what that team needs. But how do they stack up? Like yeah. getting back to how do they stack up to a Montverde? What what's Rancho Christian versus Montverde? What happens? Rancho Christian plays Montverde. Rancho Christian's got their hands full. Big time. Because I think that those teams have been at that level. They've won those high-level games. Rancho Christian's trying to win those games this year, and they are gonna. The great thing about them, they're gonna have the opportunity to do it, but we, they haven't necessarily yet done it. It's crazy about Rancho Christian is they're coming into Tarkanian tournament. Tarkanian tournament has the host Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas, obviously, as a reference to Jerry Tarkanian. You know the great Jerry Tarkanian. There's a tournament there in his honor. That tournament also has Whitney Young of Chicago. That tournament has Chino Hills. It has Sheldon of Sacramento. So Rancho Christian. Rancho Christian, from the level they're playing at Devon, they have to win that tournament because they have to come back and win Dame, the Damien, the Classic. Those are, at their level, those are two tournaments that, that they're supposed to win, which right. that wasn't the case last year. So right. I think the ex- we talk a little bit about the expectations they got, and and they, they kind of got to win those two tournaments to stay at that level where they're right on the heels of IMG and right on the heels of, of uh, you know, the Montverdes and Oak Hills. Right, like... Like you said, we've seen we saw them at Battle Zone, which is a solid local tournament. They went and played um, um, at Hoop Hall West with uh, you know they played Pinnacle. Pinnacle. They beat Pinnacle. They beat, beat Pinnacle pretty handily. Um, and looking at, they're entering the meat of their national schedule, and um, the Mobley brothers are that good. And again, they're ranked number sixteen mm-hmm. now after being number twenty three, and that's based on what you saw at Hoop Hall West. Sure. Um, and how they played there, but Isaiah and Evan Mobley are extremely Two dominant players. players. Yeah, dominant players. Uh, but like you said, the guards have to step up. Uh, Jordan Montgomery, Jaden Byers, and uh, Bryson Stevens sure. comes off the bench and is a, a really good defender. Um, so I'm curious to see how they stack up against kind of I guess more regional top end talent like Bishop Gorman. Yeah. Um, Federal Way is going to be there. Jamie with McDaniels, with yeah. McDan- the, the younger McDaniels brother. So we're going to get a true kind of test on how they stack up regionally. And then back at the post-Christmas Damien tournament, that's loaded with yeah. local Southern California talent. 
And it's loaded, as you say, but they kind of have to win it they to, have to, no, to, to get right. at that level. I was, so, yeah, I was just about to get to that. Like, yeah. if they're going to be, yeah. if they're going to yeah. jump up into that top 10, that top tier, they, yeah. they probably have to win yeah. Tark and then follow that up with the win at Damien. Which ain't going to be easy. Those, opinion. I mean, again, like like you said, the top end talent yeah. is the Montverde, the O'Kale, the IMGs, the DeMathis. Yeah. Um, so Rancho Christian is going to be playing the you know, mid-tier talent. Gorman's, the yeah. Sherman Oaks, Notre Dame's, the even they're pretty low on yeah. in your fat fifty in the country. Yeah, Corona Centennial. Those teams Bosco. are not really on there. Yeah, Bosco's in it. Yeah. So you know that may be. I believe they're on the opposite sides of the bracket, Devin. Okay. It may right. be. They are. It may be Bosco versus Rancho Christian. That would be a heck of a game. But what? And the reason why I didn't start Rancho Christian so high. Everybody says, "Oh, Evan Mobley's the number one uh, player in the country, regardless of class." He's, you know, the top 220 player. He's going to be the number one pick in the 221 draft. Wada, yada, yada. Great. Last year, they lost to Bosco three times. So I'm not just going to put them in the top seven. It's not how it works. So it's good. I'm excited. We're going to see it, Devin. And I know you're excited. So, uh, you know, be looking forward to that. And in the future, we'll have a little wrap of the of the Christmas tournaments. Probably right going into 219 or right after. So, so. We're excited. We're excited to see how good these teams are here in Southern California. And, um, you know, it's going to be great. We appreciate you guys listening in on this first episode of In the Paint, presented by Ball is Life. And in our next show, we're probably going to take a little deep dive into jersey swapping and that new fad among the NBA. So stay tuned for the next episode.